Good morning. <clears throat> when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a princess, but my goodness, I'm jolly glad I'm not a queen. <laughs> the difficult decisions, if you've watched The Crown, that that woman has had to face and continues um, to have to face, incredibly difficult. She made a promise to her family when she was a little girl, and she made a promise when she became queen, head of the church, head of the nation, and they clash what was she to do? She makes a very, very difficult decision. I don't envy her at all. Well, we're continuing to look at a different royal figure um, through this month. We're thinking about King David, who was king of Israel about 3,000 years ago, um, and a challenge that he faced, and we'll look at that in a minute. And as Matt was saying before, as we um, think about this idea of leadership today, we're thinking of it in a broader sense um, of leadership. I know that there are some of us here this morning who have roles in life that very much are roles of leadership. Um, But the rest of us here this morning, there are places that we are people of influence, even though they may not have that formal title of leadership, places where we influence. Maybe it's through our care and compassion and nurturing of others. Maybe it's through our fighting for justice, our seeking peace, our guiding others in some way. Maybe it's through our creativity Maybe it's through our celebrations of good. There are many ways that we can be influencers in the world around us, whether there's a title or not. And as we think this morning, we're thinking about that that aspect of being an influencer. Sometimes in our lives, we have a knowing, and we sometimes call it a calling, where we have a sense that we are called to be something or we're called to do something in a particular time, whether for the rest of our lives or whether for a particular time there. Many of us here may know our calling, but I imagine many of us don't know that. But I wonder if we do what Megan and, um, does and you know a little bit of what goes on in your heart You know what makes your heart tick a little bit. You know what you desire for the world around you, what you would like to see happen there. If you're somebody here this morning who has chosen to follow Jesus, then we are called to be people of integrity, to be people who live lives being true to ourselves, true to the hearts that God has given us. So, to King David... It's rather a lovely picture of him. I think that's Richard Gere. (laughs) So King David. But he probably looked a little bit like that, maybe. I don't know. Um, Last week, we looked at the story when David actually wasn't looking like that. So that's all you see of that picture. This one. Um, This is King David when he was anointed. We looked at this last week. He was probably 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And um, God chose him to be the next king. There was a king on the throne already, Saul. Um, But when Saul died, David was going to be next. And he was anointed as this young boy. And amazing that God could choose him even when he's 10 or 11 or 12. But it's because God knew him. God knew him just like he knows you. He knew him and he knew his heart. We're told of David. David was a man after God's own heart. So what mattered to God mattered to David. And so God was able to choose David even at such a young age. And David knew from that very early time what his calling was, that he was called to be king of Israel. Well, the story we're going to look at today takes place about five years later. So he's probably 15, 16, 17 years old. So the age of some of our younger guys in here. And it's the story of David and Goliath. 
David, as we know, um, what he was doing growing up was being a shepherd, taking care of some of the flock that belonged to his family. But the story takes place um, at a battle. So if you imagine a dry um, riverbed, um, a flat bit of ground, and on both sides there'd have been a hill, most likely, they think, a hillside. And on one hillside, the Philistine army was camped, and on the other hillside, the Israelite army was camped, and they would come down. It all sounds very organized. And they would come down into the valley to have their battles. Well, for 40 days, what had been happening was when they'd come down and gather in the valley, one of the Philistines stepped forwards every day for 40 days. And he was a giant. They think he was about nine foot something or other. I don't know. And he would step forward and he would start ridiculing the Israelites. He would ridicule God. He would ridicule um, the Israelite army. And he would challenge them as well. He would offer this challenge. Come and fight me. If anybody can beat me, the whole Philistine army will bow down and be your slaves. But if I beat whoever comes to fight me, then you will be our slaves, people of Israelite. Well, the Israelites were terrified, generally ran away. They went out to listen every day, but um, they would generally then run away and nobody put their hand up. They didn't get the phone call from Matt, we want you to do this. There was nobody put their hand up and offered to do it. Well, King Saul watches on and um, he wants somebody to go and fight Goliath. So he offers great prizes, great rewards for anybody that will go and fight Goliath. Well, back in Bethlehem, a village some distance away, there's Jesse living with his youngest son. Jesse's three older sons are off fighting with Saul. But Jesse has his youngest son and some other sons at home. And David is doing what he does out in the, um, the fields with the sheep, looking after them. But, Saul, um, but Jesse, his dad, wants to know, well, how are my older sons getting on? Um, and so he decides to send David off. So off he sends David with some provisions to go and find out. Um, and David arrives just as the army are going down to be ridiculed and to listen to um, Goliath's taunts. And so he listens and he is horrified that this man can get away with seeing this, saying these terrible things um, about his God and about um, his nation as well. And he starts to ask lots of questions. What's, what's Saul offering? Um, what's the prize? How is um, this giant getting away with saying these terrible things. He asks so many questions that Saul then wants to see him. And he goes before um, King Saul. And he says straight away, no hesitation, I will go and fight him. I'll go and fight him. I love in my translation of, of the Bible that I read, Saul's response is, don't be ridiculous. What a great response. I think I'd have said that too. But David argues his point. He says, I'm not being ridiculous. I have killed lions and bears as a shepherd. When they come and take a sheep, I club them to death or, and get my sheep back from them. And if they come to attack me, I grab them by the jaw and I, and I kill them. He can kill lions and bears so I can kill Goliath too. Well, Saul doesn't take much persuading, and, um, and Saul says, okay. And Saul dresses him up in his armor. I, had, I tried to get consistent pictures, but I failed. <laughs> it was the only picture I could find of him in Saul's armor, but there we are. So he dresses him up in his armor, um, but, you know, he's 15, 16, 17, a fully grown man's armor was far too big for him. So he says, no, I think in that one, he says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he takes those off and he goes with what he's used to. He takes his sling and he takes his shepherd's staff out there too. And he goes out onto the battlefield and Goliath says, as it says, there, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? But his response is, 
This is what David says. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And so Goliath approaches David. And David, before Goliath can even get there, puts the stone in his sling, and however you do, I don't know, I assume it's this, (laughs) and hurls it um, at Goliath, and it hits him directly in the forehead, and he falls down, um, knocked out. And David goes over and grabs the sword, kills him, and cuts off his head. I decided to do a bronze picture of cuts off his head. It's slightly less gruesome in bronze than it is in color. But this is the story um, of David and Goliath. So there is a point a test in David's life, in his leadership. He knows that he's been called to be king. And he arrives and he hears this giant being outrageous in what he says about his God and about his nation. And so he chooses in that moment. He cares the way that God cares. So he chooses in that moment to stand up to it and be the one. I actually think, knowing a little bit about 15-year-old boys, that he probably didn't give it that much thought, actually. He was so... My son smiled. He's 15. Um, um, That he just was so filled with passion. I talked to Norman before, who has been a leader in the church for years, and he said, you know, with leaders, I think often it isn't about thinking about it. It's this passion within that stirs them to action. And we see that here with David. He has this passion within. He will not let his God and his nation be ridiculed any longer. He wants to do something about it. Like God, David will not see this continue. He wants to see justice done. So David steps forwards with great confidence, a youth of integrity, a youth of courage and great skill with a slingshot too. If you read um, the rest of David's life, so there's 25 to 32 years between David being anointed and him finally becoming king. So if you read in 1 and 2 Samuel in your Bibles, the story of that time and the, the time when he's king, again and again, David faces giants, not literal uh, nine-foot-tall men, but moments where he has to make the decision, will I be true to the heart that God has given me? Will I be true to the person that God has made me to be, which is a man after God's own heart? Will I influence the way God would influence? Will I care the way God would care? Will I love the way God would love? Will I act the way God would act? And most of the time, yes, he does, certainly not always, But when he then discovers that he hasn't, it absolutely breaks his heart. For each of us, whatever age we are, we have a choice how we respond. Whether we will be true to the heart and to the goodness in our heart that God has given us. Tatiana, as she faces year 12, and as she continues to grieve over her grandfather, has that choice. Who will she be this year as she goes through it? Megan, choosing this year or a few years ago, choosing, I will be true to my heart. She has a heart of a teacher, a heart of a guide, Megan does. And she stepped up despite being really busy with young children at home. Tim, who um, chooses despite chronic fatigue, he is true to his heart and he is an influencer of those that struggle. They remain true to who God has made them to be. This is a picture of my grandparents, a younger one and an older one. 
Um, my grandparents died in the mid to early 1990s, and I went with my mum to help clear out their house. And my grandpa, um, as you see in one of those pictures, was a vicar. So he was a leader in a church in England. And so he had a big study and a study full of books and Bibles. And so we, I spent time taking these off the shelves and boxing them up um, to sort them out. And I would flick through the Bibles just trying to get a bit more of a glimpse of who this man was that was my grandfather. I knew him a bit. And... Um, and I found a Bible that absolutely thrilled my heart because in the front, front cover of it, it was where he had written how he had come to follow Jesus and some of the early decisions that he had made. My grandpa was born in 1913, that's him as a little baby, in India, into a wealthy military family out there. But when he was just two years old, his father, who is the chap with a moustache, died at Gallipoli um, on Anzac Day in 1915, and my grandpa was just two. So my grandpa and his baby brother and his mother moved back um, to England to live with that great-grandfather's um, family. And they would have lived in, this is actually one of their family homes in England. Um, they didn't have a minibus in those days, though. Um, <laughs> It's a modern photo of their family home. It's a school there. So my grandfather would have lived a life a little bit very similar, actually, to a life at Downton Abbey, except it was all women in the family of the house because all the men had been killed in the war. But military leadership ran very strongly in my grandfather's life on both sides of his family. There was an assumption you grew up, you led in the military. Well, my grandpa went to boarding school, and at 16 years of age, he was told about Jesus for the first time and told that he had a choice. Will he follow Jesus or not? And he decided, yes, he would follow Jesus. And over the next few years, his faith deepened and grew. And at university, when he was there, it, took, um, it deepened greatly there. And he wrote in his Bible um, these words. On Tuesday, July the 17th, 1934, I surrendered myself and all that I possessed to God. My grandpa's heart was for God. And he knew in his heart that he was being called, like the, his family before him, into leadership. But not leadership in the military, but leadership in the church. And it wasn't easy for him, like King David, like for all of us at times. He stood um, against tests and opposition to this decision that he'd made. His mother on, um, his, wanted him to come back home for his 21st birthday because it was his coming of age. And she wanted to throw a lavish ball for him, um, going to sparing no expense for him as his coming of age thing. But at that time, Christians um, didn't believe that it was right to dance. I think that's a bit sad, but um, they didn't. And, um, and so he refused. He said, no, he was not going to have this ball, which thoroughly disappointed his family. And then at the age of 21, he received his inheritance. And he decided that actually the best thing to do with this large sum of money was to give it away. And he funded the um, 31 missionaries being trained up and sent out to these countries. His family did not like the decisions that he was making. They tried to dissuade him, and that didn't work. He was at university, so his mother wrote to the university asking them to give him a thorough examination. She thought he had gone mad, and so she really did. And that she, she wrote that she wanted, him to, um, they want, she wanted them to assess his mental stability because clearly there was something wrong. Well, they wrote back to her, having done the assessment, as she's asked, and they declared that he was a perfectly normal, rather attractive personality. <laughs> Uh, the family at that stage gave up trying to challenge, um, trying to change him. 
in his Bible, um, my grandpa wrote, in those early days, um, what he felt was his calling, his purpose, his commission. It's written in um, Old King James, so it's quite oldy-woldy language, but he wrote for his purpose this verse from um, the Bible, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And his commission, what he felt he'd been called to in life, was a verse from the Bible as well. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He knew at this stage in his life that his calling was to preach Jesus. Throughout his days, that's what he did as a vicar in different places, as a chaplain in the army during the Second World War. He loved Jesus and he followed Jesus and he did face challenges. In the Bible that I've got, I read little questions that he asks in the margins and I can see, I can read some of those challenges he faced and I know there were others too. In the last few years of his life, my grandpa got dementia. And as happens in the early stages of dementia, there would be times when he'd be quite clear in his thinking and then times when he would be confused. And in these early days, he walked down to his local shops and um, he then got at this moment of confusion. And so somebody went up to him and they asked him, "Um, are you okay? Can I help you? And his response was, I don't know where I am. In fact, I don't know who I am. All I know is that I love the Lord Jesus And the woman, eventually, he cleared and was able to take him home. The second last time I saw my grandpa was in an ugly, sad, old psychiatric Victorian hospital in England. It was an unpleasant place. And we walked down long corridors and we came into the lounge, this big, ugly building. And my grandpa was standing in the corner of the lounge and he was preaching his heart out to the people. Not one word that he said made any sense whatsoever. But what else could he do? His heart belonged to Jesus. He had been called to preach all his days. And so that's what he did, even to the end. Who has God called you to be? He called King David to be a king. He called my grandpa to preach Jesus. He called Tim to wholeheartedly stand alongside other people who are struggling in life. Who has God called you to be? Where will your influence be in this world? You may not know, especially if you're young, you may not know. But what do you know of your heart the goodness in your heart. How has it been shaped? Are you a defender of the weak? Are you a fighter for justice? Do you get a thrill teaching people and guiding them? Do you love to serve and care for other people? You may not know. You may have to say, God, will you show me? Show me how you have shaped my heart because I don't know. Do you love to make things beautiful? Do you see situations and you want to bring peace to them? However, God has shaped your heart. Lead in these ways. Whoever he has shaped you to be, be a person of influence in this world in those ways. And when trials and tests come and you stand against Goliath, because you will stand against Goliath, what do you do? 
you do what David did. He writes these words. Ben, you're welcome to come up. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Stick close to Jesus. Stick close to other people who are good influencers in your life too, but stick close to Jesus. Whether you have followed him for years, whether you are sitting here thinking, I don't even know whether I want to follow him, choose Jesus and stick close to Jesus because then when the trials and tests of life come, he will be with you, his presence with you. It may be as simple as that. But maybe he will guide you. Maybe he will comfort you. Maybe he will give you strength in that time. He will change you and shape you as you stand before Goliath and your challenges. If we stick with him walking through the valley, a valley always goes in one way and out another. And it always leads to a new place, a different place. He will lead you through and out into a new place in life, yet where you will be changed, you will be different, and he will have been with you. My hope is that when I get old, if I get old, and if I get confused and forget most things in life, like my grandpa did, I hope that I will have stuck so close to Jesus throughout all my days, my good days, and the times when I face the giants and the challenges of life, that I will be true to my heart till the very end of my days, that I will always love Jesus through my days. How about you?